0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. You have a band, good or bad? It's a great band, it's a bad band, it's like pizza, baby, it's good, no matter matter what, there's music in
0: the air! Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write
2: about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to unearth another set of buried treasures. We're going to play some new music that deserves more
0: attention. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Maybe
3: I'll be there to shake.
2: In the last couple of weeks, Jim, one of the most talked about events in this particular world has been a new study out of the University of London that concludes that peer-to-peer file sharing tends to increase rather than decrease music purchasing. It was done by two researchers, Dr. Birgitta Anderson and Marion Friends, University of London. The results have been all over the Internet, have been widely discussed. What is the impact for the music industry? The music industry in a free fall the last seven years in terms of music sales, CD sales are down 25%. But this study concludes that peer-to-peer file sharing
0: is not to blame. It was done at the request of the Canadian government because Canada is looking at the copyright issues that the American courts are dealing with. So from the University of London, we have two researchers looked at Canada. Let's talk to Dr. Birgitta Anderson in London. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you. Doctor, tell us, first of all, your findings
2: are supporting the idea that peer-to-peer file sharing tends to increase rather than decrease. How big was the sample of of Uh, people that you surveyed? The sample
4: was about 2,100 Canadian households, and they were selected, so they were representative of the Canadian population.
2: So all, all age ranges were represented?
4: Yeah, it was from 15 years to 60 plus.
0: Excellent. Brigetta, as as rock critics, Greg Cotton and I have been saying for quite a long time that, that being able to download a track and see if the music is any good before deciding whether you want to invest your money seems like a great thing. And people are having easier access now to music than ever. It seems that that's exactly what your study has shown scientifically with the hard numbers.
4: Uh, yes, it is. Of course, we investigate a lot of different variables, but... Uh, If we just just compare the group who downloaded, compared with the group who did not download, we basically find that Canadian people who download free music, they do not purchase more or less CDs than those who are not engaged in such activity So that means that making a qualitative decision of engaging in P2P networks or not to engage in such networks, that does not appear to have any influence on music purchase. However... If you focus only on the group that download, we find that those who download a lot also purchase more CDs than those who download only a little free music. So that's where the positive correlation come in. And then we found that 50% of downloads happens because of individuals wanting to listen to the music before buying it, or because uh, individuals do not want to purchase the entire bundle of songs on a CD. Now
2: professor there's a uh, University of Texas professor uh, Stanley Leibowitz who's done a lot of work in this area as well and he has done a number of studies that that he feels contradict a lot of a uh, lot of your findings primarily he says that there can be no other reason other than peer to peer file sharing to cause this 25% decline in CD sales since 2000. In other words, the, the rise of peer-to-peer around 2000 has correlated directly with this 25% decline in CD sales. How do you respond to that?
4: Well, first of all, I have seen Libovic's critique, and we are going to do an official response, but what I can just say here very quickly is that we simply refuse to join the line of argument of many research papers which somewhat assume a relationship between downloading of free music, and that should automatically equal less music sold, basically because many such studies are basically based upon comparing internet use as a proxy for download with music sale. And then this concluded that if you see an increase in Internet use or increase in pricing activities, then that is automatically correspond to the decrease in uh, music sale. But what we did was different. Instead of looking at these macro aggregated data, we basically asked the file sharers directly or ask households directly what they do, how much they download, how much they purchase, and what the incentives are in order to find out these uh, so we did more like a micro-study by speaking with the agents rather than making some assumptions of certain relationships. And that is how we find that our study has a huge advantages over existing studies.
2: Now, now Leibowitz is also arguing that uh, a lot of the people that uh, you would survey now are, are very well-versed in the issues and are basically lying. They know it's, they're supposed to say, well, yeah, I download a lot, but as a result of that, I buy more music. I mean, that's the politically correct answer. But he's basically saying they're lying. I mean, how do you respond to that?
4: Uh, well, of course, everybody we spoke to, or that was spoken to, uh, of course, were told that, that everything they say is confidential, <laughs> So, and that it was done independent from, you know, from industry or any other issues. And we didn't ever use the word illegal because I don't like the word word illegal because not all downloading for free means that it's illegal.
2: Then again, how would you explain this decline in sales? I mean, it is interesting that there has been this seven year decline in sales. I mean, the industry was just coming off its biggest year ever in 1999 and ever since then it's been downhill. So how would you assess the fact that the industry has been in this steep decline for seven years?
4: Well, first I want to say that basically our paper obviously doesn't explain declining music sale, but the declining TV sale we didn't research directly. I have, of course, some personal views on it, that you have a, we have a change in technological paradigm. We're undergoing a technological revolution in the music industry. We need to accept some radical changes associated with it. We find new ways in which music is delivered and consumed, and that affects both uh, both. Uh, music markets and industry structures... However, we did see that, um, and and, and some evidence from this was also, that people who purchase electronically delivered music, and here I'm talking about people who purchase music online, they're less likely to engage in CD purchase, and people who own MP3 players are less likely to engage in CD purchase. That was another study, another, another, another finding in the same study, which has not been debated so much. But that shows that there's a vibrant music industry out there online where people are willing to pay. So the declining CD sale is obviously because we have a changing technological paradigm. Basically, we cannot simply assume that existing industry structures and market structures are the most optimal in a new technological paradigm. Obviously, these structures need to change.
0: We've been talking to Dr. Brigitte Anderson from the University of London. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Bye-bye.
1: Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? Them's my treasure, and I'm a burying them where no one will know where they're at but me.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Greg, this is one of our very favorite kinds of shows. We call it the Buried Treasure Show. We do it every once in a while, and we're talking about CDs that we were really excited about. Discoveries. You had to dig a little bit for them. They made our day when we first heard them, and we want to share them with the listeners, right? I mean, I would do this show every other week. (laughs) Absolutely. We listen to way more music than we're able to discuss and
2: review on this show. And inevitably, we tend towards those releases that are kind of broader cultural moments, events. And every once in a while, it's just great to dig back and say... We're just talking about this record Because it's a piece of great music Maybe nobody else has heard about it But I've listened to it It's changed my world this week And I want everybody else to know
0: about it That's what this show is about Absolutely Usually we do a before the show coin toss I won So I get to go first And I'm going to talk about a record It's by a band called Against Me This, This group is from Gainesville, Florida, Greg And they are huge on the warped tour circuit You know, it is that shopping mall punk world around Warped, where bands that, you know, were once part of the most underground and political and incendiary sound in rock are now, you know, available for sale at Hot Topic, right? I think that Against Me is far and above better than the -the run-of-the-mill group in that genre because of guitarist-vocalist Tom Gable. This is a guy who started out busking on the street, singing political punk songs, uh, acoustic punk at the time, became a band. And has now just signed to Sire Records, which to him was important because that was that was the label that gave us the Ramones. <laughs> so they're signing this major label and they're making a record called New Wave. This guy knows his rock history, Greg. He knows that Sire Records was started by Seymour Stein, the guy who coined the word New Wave, because mm-hmm. he said, I like a lot of these bands, but this thing called punk is never going to sell in the shopping malls of America. This is 1977. So he decided, let's call it something different. And so they make an album called New Wave for their big major label debut, and they go to Butch Vig, the man who produced Nevermind and the Smashing Pumpkins, to produce it. It's a huge sound. You know, big drums, big guitars, but even bigger ideas. I think that the song I'm going to play you right now is one of the best songs I've heard about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. White People for Peace is is one of my favorites. (laughs) You know, because he is simultaneously singing this very inspired song, protest songs in a response to military aggression. What a mouthful of words. But it works the way they deliver it in this big rousing chorus. Simultaneously doing that and also making fun of himself. I'm a privileged white kid who goes across the country playing these big festivals like Warped. What possible good can I do singing a song about the war you know and then the answer eventually comes around well you know what's the alternative to ignore it i think the level of songwriting is on that level throughout this record i love it to pieces it's against me on sound opinions east
3: and west could not agree so the generals get called gather troops at the border the guns and lit the sky on fire The people say protest
0: Me, White People for Peace from New Wave. My God. You're not you're not moved at all. You know, the Shopping Mall Punk,
2: it can just go away. Just die a slow, oh, painful death what, what would you in rather? some corner. You'd rather somewhere. have those
0: kids listening to 50 Cent?
2: <laughs> no, I'd rather have them listen to this next band that I'm going to play for you. Now, this is a real buried treasure, Jim. Band from East London called Tongue. Basically, a duo, an electronic producer named Mike Lindsay, and a folk singer named Sam Genders. They met in 2003 sort of goofed around, started doing soundtracks for softcore porn movies. <laughs> this evolves into a real band, an electro-folk band augmented by Hammer Dulcimer. You don't get enough Hammer Dulcimer in bands in rock and days, roll, Jim, no. No. Synthesizers, clarinet, melodicas, steel string harp, Spanish guitar, all these kind of odd little folky instruments, non-traditional rock instruments. They made three albums. Their, their third one is called Good Arrows, and it's their best one. It's released on uh, Chicago label Thrill Jockey. The reason I love it so much is that we get beyond this duo feel. It's very, they were making these kind of small records, uh, glitchy electronics, meeting these gentle folk songs. Now they've got the whole band incorporated. They've got a female vocalist who adds a, another dimension to the harmonies. A- and the songs are just terrific. They're these beautiful bucolic reveries. You think you're listening to this sun-kissed music, the rolling mm. hills and the English countryside, and then you lo- start listening to the lyrics, and you go, my God... People are dying. Guts are being spilled. People are crying. There's, I mean, there's mayhem going on. It reminds me very much of these twisted fairy tales, how there would be this kind of uh, fantasy-like exterior, but you sort of dig deep into what's going on in these fairy tales, and there's some really serious, dire consequences going on in the middle of this. At the same time, the music is just wonderful. You're, mm. you're humming along, and you're thinking, wow, everything's happy. So... What they've done here is they've melded this, this weird electro-folk atmosphere with these beautiful melodies on the song, never more so than this. Reminds me a little bit of uh, one of our recent guests on Sound Opinions, Robert Wyatt, that sort of bucolic, conversational singing style with these wonderful melodies, but some really serious stuff going on in the lyrics. So here's the best song off the new record, Good Arrows. It's called Bullets, and it's from Tongue on Sound Opinions.
6: Green hills and enemies these things they make us sentimental inside Your words are gel ignited, Or just another sentimental aside We're catching bullets in our teeth And though it's easy if you know how it's done They split the secret up six ways Before they gave it to us Just before dawn And now we don't remember Our blood and guts are out We spread our bones across the table at night We cut our fingers off my cells little extra, extra in size.
0: tongue. Greg, a nice choice. Kudos to you. I'm going to sneak one more in. Before we go to break here. This is a record called The Valerie Project that just came out on Drag City. It's a re-recording of the 1970 soundtrack for a film called Valerie and Her Week of Wonders. This (laughs) legendary Czech surrealist psychedelic movie. A bunch of people from the Philadelphia freak folk scene, including people in the band Espers, got together and re-recorded this. It's really neat. We're going to be back with more Buried Treasures on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media after this. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
2: A one-of-a-kind singer named Betty Lavette singing an old Ray Charles song, they call it Love. It's from her new album, The Scene of the Crime. Great story behind this record, Jim. Betty Lavette, a veteran soul singer, she had a top ten hit in 1962. So she's been around the soul circuit for a long time. The story behind this record, The Scene of the Crime, is that it is in fact a return to the scene of the crime. Mm. Uh, in 1972, she recorded a record for Atlantic records in memphis recorded in three days with that splendid rhythm section the muscle shoals rhythm section that had worked with people like aretha franklin wilson pickett mavis staples she thought she had made the album of her career she had finally gotten signed to atlantic records which was the premier r&b label in the world and she finally had her big break got out of that session felt fantastic had booked a tour And as she was about to embark on the tour, got a phone call from Atlantic Records, and they said they weren't going to put the record out. Hmm. At the end of the day, they shelved the record. Why? Devastated her. She never found out why. They just said, you know what? We're not putting it out. Hmm. And she never really got an explanation of why they weren't going to put it out. Maybe they didn't think it was commercial enough. Devastated her for a couple of weeks. She got going again. But really, her career never recovered until about 20, 30 years later. I mean, she consistently worked, but she was never the star that people thought she would become. That record was finally released in 2000. It was called Child of the 70s. It revived her career. Now she's in her early 60s and doing better than ever. She got signed to the Anti-Label, the home of uh, people like Tom Waits and Mavis Staples, mm-hmm. uh, put out a record a couple of years ago called I've Got My Own Hell to Raise, one of the best records of 2005. Now she's back with the follow-up, The Scene of the Crime. She returns to Memphis to record, this time with uh, Patterson Hood as the producer, the, uh, the leader of the Drive-By Truckers great band. In fact, there's a little backstory to that as well. Patterson Hood is the son of David Hood, the bass player on that original session. He was wow. one of, He was the part of that original Muscle Shoals rhythm section that played behind Betty LeVette on that 1972 record that didn't get released until 30 years later. David Hood returns to play bass on some of the tracks on this record. His son Patterson produced it, and Betty LeVette gets to sing her heart out on it. And let me tell you, it's a terrific record. Lots of covers on this record. She's covering a wide gamut of material, country songs, R&B songs, even covering an obscure, a relatively obscure Elton John song called Talking Old Soldiers. Does a fantastic job on that. But the track I'm going to play is Before the Money Came. This is the one track on the record that Betty Lovett herself wrote with Patterson Hood, and it is essentially Betty Levette's autobiography, the trials and tribulations of those 40 years in the record business. She's pouring it all out on this song, Before the Money Came, from The Scene of the Crime by Betty Lovett on Sound Opinions. <laughs>
5: My mama's every word Gonna sing them out loud And conquer the world All them faces on the pictures up there Makes me remember when my table was bare Living at my mama's house Taking food from my family's mouth Before the money came I was singing r back in 62 Before you were born and your mama too I knew David Ruffin when it was over, sleeping on my floor before we crossed over. All my friends on the Grammy show, I was stuck in Detroit trying to open doors. Record deals kept falling apart, one with.
0: Before the Money Came by Betty LeVette. Good one, Greg. I'm going to stay in the South for my next Buried Treasure. I'm going to Atlanta. We're going to a different genre, though. All right. The Black Lips are a great garage band from Atlanta. They prefer to call themselves flower punks, <laughs> uh, meaning you know hippies uh, who rock really loud. Boy, they are an incendiary live act. At South by Southwest last year, they played 12 shows in three days. Mm-hmm. They are known for Every form of drunken debauchery conceivable. <laughs> on stage vomiting, spontaneous nudity, Lovely. fireworks, urination. That's rock and roll! All right? <laughs> and the record is just as good. They made their debut in uh, 2003 with a self titled record on Bomp, the great LA garage label. Now they're back, signed inexplicably to New York's hipster record label Vice. I don't know why they're there, Mm -hmm. but they made a great record with it. Good, bad, not evil. It's a raunchy garage rock record. Very, very funny. The funniest song on the album uh, I would play, except it's not musically indicative. It's a country spoof called How Do You Tell a Child That Someone Has Died? <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bummer. This song also could potentially be a bummer. It's called Oh Katrina in the tradition of uh, uh, great blues songs where you're singing to the woman who ruined your life. They are singing to the storm that ruined the New Orleans that mm-hmm. they loved. Here's the Black Lips on Sound Opinions.
2: katrina from the black lips jim uh i love that band too despite all the uh, bodily fluids involved Yes, yeah, yeah. you might want to band. stand in the back of the crowd <laughs> if you go see them but other than that they're great oh my god so uh exotic you want exotic i'm going to go to northeastern Mali, a group called tanarawan this is a um a group that essentially is part of a nomadic tribe that plays electric guitars they are singing about the traditions of their people, uh, nomadic people, who have been basically vagabonds, gypsies, living in the desert, trying to find water, trying to find food. They have been troubled by droughts. They've been troubled by rebellion. They've been troubled by the fact that they have no home. And this is a group, Teneroan, that has been writing songs about the struggles of their people for the last decade plus. wonderful album called Aman Iman that sounds as exotic as any of those Mississippi Hill Country bluesmen, the, the Junior Kimbros and R.L. Burnsides of the world, in that they play this kind of trancy, spidery electric guitar. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Quicksilver Messenger Surface, too, hmm. the uh, John Cipollina solos. There's elements of the blues in it, but then there's something more ancient about it and at the same time futuristic. I put this record on and I am transported when I hear those guitars over those kind of camel walk. Rhythms. You can mm. almost hear the camels trotting through the desert. <laughs> and you get these kind of images, these, these mirage like visions when you're listening to this song. And I'm saying you don't need any drugs to, 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 to have these visions because the music puts you in that place. Very evocative music. The heat's so intense you can, you can see the air baking. That's the way this music sounds. It, it gives me a visual image of where they come from, and you can hear the longing in their voices. There's a lot of songs on this record about homesickness, about being away from home and longing for a home and not being able to get it. This is a song called Claire Achel. It's I Spent the Day, and it is sung by the lead guitarist, Ibrahim Al-Habib, who is a genius guitarist, and you can also hear in his voice that yearning that I was talking about. It's Tanerawan from Northeastern Mali on Sound Opinions. That was Tanarawan from Northeastern Mali, one of my buried treasures. Uh, Next up, you're going to hear a little bit of another one of my buried treasures, a group called Quee from Los Angeles and a record called Love's Miracle. I owe them a debt of thanks because uh, they brought Jesus Lizard vocalist David Yao out of hiding. Yao had been retired since Jesus Lizard broke up several years ago, one of the great live bands of the 90s. Uh, Yao, the manic lead vocalist, he's now back in with uh, these two Los Angeles guys, Paul Christensen and Matt Cronk, singing three-part harmonies. Unbelievable. Who wow. knew that David Yao could sing?
7: What makes the green earth turn?
0: Greg, if people want to comment on Cui or any of our other buried treasures or anything we talk about on Sound Opinions, they can call one 859 1800 or email us at interact at soundopinions.org. We'll be back in a minute with more buried treasures on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
7: What makes the green earth turn bright?
0: Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim Deer Goddess. My partner is Greg Cott. We're doing Buried Treasures. That's one of them. That's a band called Pinback. They're darlings of the indie rock underground. Greg, that was a song called How to Breathe from their new album, Autumn of the Seraphs, their fourth record. They're a San Diego duo. Uh, I, I think if I had to choose one band to kind of epitomize indie rock today, it might be this group. Despite that. <laughs> they're a really good group, and they're good because of the strength of their songwriting. The melodies are so strong. The way that they use the two vocals of Rob Crow and Armisted Burwell Zach Smith and the way that they counterpoint the guitar and the bass has really been phenomenal. They had a uh, pretty big breakthrough record three years ago with a disc called Summer in Abaddon, and now comes the new one, Autumn of the Seraphs poised to reach the biggest audience of their career. Previously, they would perform with drum machines, although they would play live with a drummer. This one they cut much more as a band. I think it's a little bit more accessible for that reason, but really it's the vocals and the melodies that are as good as they've ever been. That feeling, that lazy feeling of kind of drifting in the ocean is epitomized, I think, by this song. It's called Subbing for Eden. It's literally about kind of feeling the depths of the ocean as they sing. I think it's a great watery pop treat pin back on sound opinions Mm
2: subbing for Eden one of Jim's uh, buried treasures an excellent choice I-, I like that record quite a bit myself
0: we're agreeing too much on this I- show
2: I-, I know but uh, I tell you there's so much great music out there and I love this show because we're able to get to a lot of this stuff that we haven't been able to cover in recent weeks and it's just so much fun catching up with this great music wouldn't it be amazing if radio worked like this all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah what an I- idea I agree with that I love this band, Jim. I know you do as well, actually. This next choice is another one I think we're going to agree on. The band The 1900s, mm. um, a septet from uh, Chicago that favors orchestral arrangements that have critics seeing their praises and referencing bands like The Zombies and Love and The Mamas and Papas with those beautiful co-ed harmony vocals that they have. They got a lot of praise for their 2006 debut EP, Plume Delivery, and now they've followed it up with a full-length album their debut album length release cold and kind and i think it's a step up even from plume delivery plume delivery a lot of promise there five songs this is a full-on album and i think it's a masterwork for them beautiful songs again rapturous arrangements brass and and strings those harmonies are in full effect but beneath that heady surface you've got these songs exploring the idea of Young people, mid-20s, late-20s, figuring out what they want to do with the rest of their lives and this whole notion of risk. How much do you risk? Do you want to end up working in an office job? Do you want to end up chucking all of that safety net and doing something a little bit more adventurous? The whole idea of death and redemption. The key song for me in this record is right in the center of the record. It's called A Planter Dude, and it's an odd, (laughs) weird title. What does that mean? I'm not really sure. But it's an elegy of sorts to a friend who died of a drug overdose, and it's got a really beautiful refrain. If I died, I would live again in your body. This song was written before this friend actually died. Uh, A few months later, it was discovered that the dead man's girlfriend was pregnant with his child. So those lines really became eerily prescient. If I died, I would live again in your body. You know, his child survives him. Just a fascinating subtext to what is a really beautiful song. A culty planter dude on the record Cold and Kind from the 1900s on Sound Opinions.
7: Thank you.
0: Chicago orchestral pop or orc pop band, as hipsters in the know might say, the 1900s with the song Occulty Planter Dude. Greg, I'm going to stay in Chicago. I'm going to stay with orc pop, but first I'm going to offer this word to people around the country. Now, now, when you and I review local Chicago bands, we hold them up. I mean, Chicago is the third largest city in America, and it's the best of them, no (laughs) offense to you people in New York and LA, Uh, but we hold local bands that we're going to talk about on the radio or write about in the paper to the same standard that we would uh, hold a new record by any superstar act or any bubbling under act across the country. Both of these bands are in the orchestral pop vein. You talked about the 1900s. talking about Scotland Yard Gospel Choir yeah. and I'll add one more Good to vein. that list this is now like the orc pop capital of America now Chicago <laughs> with the head of femur as well yeah. very much in that vein sure but Scotland Yard Gospel Choir is led by a guy named Elia Einhorn. It was originally a duo that would expand sometimes to 11 or 12 people on stage with Matthew Kirstein in the band as well. They put out a really good record that was self-released in 2003. I bet you say that to all the boys. Got wider distribution in 2005. And then they went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Everybody put their money on Kirstein, much like when Uncle Tupelo split and everybody put their money on uh, the other guy who's not Jeff Tweedy. Jay Ferraro. Yeah, yeah. Who cares, right? I think Elia emerged as the real talent there, and he kept Scotland Yard Gospel Choir going. Got himself signed to Bloodshot Records, which is best known as Alternative Country Capital of the Universe, right? Although, of course, they've always said they're more than just old country. This record proves it. This is very much an orchestral pop record in the spirit of uh, Bell and Sebastian, with short, pithy songs, really catchy. They move quickly. The lyrics are witty and barbed and sarcastic and sharp in that great Morrissey tradition. And, you know, you have all these things happening, horns and and, and accordions, but in Elliot's case, they happen sometimes in two and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And they're really catchy and jaunty as opposed to the more leisurely take that, like, 1900s take, both of which are valid as far as I'm concerned. You played a song about a person having trouble with drugs with a weird name. I'm going to play a song about a person having trouble with drugs with a weird name. (laughs) It's called uh, Aspidistra. Which I looked it up is either an Asian plant or a British radio transmitter. Elliot would summer with his father in Scotland. He, he, he was living with his mother in Chicago, but every summer he'd go over there. I think he's referring to the British radio transmitter, mm-hmm. I think, and probably listening in the night to uh, BBC broadcasts and discovering cool music. But uh, this is a song called Aspidistra, as I said, by Scotland Yard Gospel Choir from their new album, which is self-titled on Sound Opinions. I used to buy
8: drugs, I by drugs, I knew all the police by first name. How are the wife and kids? I'm just hanging out, no need to rob the end. I left my mom's house with the feeling something needed to win, and I was just the one to do it. And when something went wrong, well it was always my fault. And if something went right, then I was never involved. The boys I knew they were and the girls never seen what seeing twice. I never knew what to do. When the night seemed ready to conclude, Now there were too many rallies, too much running away. And if you ask me now, I'd say I'm not sorry for Buying drugs down at last with Hanging out with whoever least the kids, they got nowhere to go. If you got it to share, man, they won't say no, but there were too many It's too much running away. If you ask me now, I'd say I'm not sorry but...
2: That is Aspidistra from Scotland Yard Gospel Choir. Excellent choice, Jim. You won the coin toss, therefore you get to go last. What's uh, our last buried treasure of the show?
0: Well, I really am glad I won because I would have been heartbroken if uh, I left this off the list. Electric Six put out a oh, really yeah. <laughs> fine album. Those, those guys are funny guys. Oh, my God. The <laughs> album title, is just, just the album title alone <laughs> is, is is worth buying. I shall exterminate everything around me that restricts me from being the master. Where's that taken from? A 1921 drawing by the German Dadaist artist George Gross about uh, capitalism. It's, mm-hmm. it's a surrealist comment on capitalism. These guys have been running for quite some time. They are a jokey, new wave of New Wave Revival Band slash punk garage rock tongue in cheek there is no style that we shall not goof on wacky band. I mean, they are just they are insanely funny. They broke through in the UK in a big way with a hit single called Danger, High Voltage, from the 2003 album Fire, but they've yet to really make an impact in America in terms of record sales. However, the punk rock underground in every city in America knows what a good live show these guys put on. So they always play all these sold out live shows across the country, except nobody here is really caught on to their records. I don't understand why, because I Shall Exterminate, etc., etc., etc. is just a fun Listen, back to front. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful record full of witty genre comments. You know, they'll throw in a disco bass line, goof on a little bit of Devo or Kraftwerk, and all the while keep things rolling straight forward ahead. I was going to play a song called Sexy Trash, which is a really great one in that typical glam rock way. Show me your sexy trash, but don't go making moves that agitate my rash. Uh, but I just changed my mind <laughs> because this is a show about rock criticism, right? Sound opinions. Mm-hmm. I think this is the one of the best rock and roll rock criticism songs ever written it's called Lenny Kravitz mm-hmm. it is not a tribute <laughs> I mean, what a great thing to sit down and write a song about how much <laughs> Lenny Kravitz stinks this is Electric 6 on Sound Opinions yeah,
1: since I you, you were someone not
2: Six, Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, isn't it? That's that's uh, Electric Six, the band, doing the song Lenny Kravitz. What yeah. a what a great parody and what a great way to end Very Treasures, Jim. <laughs> you,
0: <laughs> you gotta can, love that, you right? Cannot top
2: that. That is very good. Very good. Next week, we are going to try to top it, though. We've got a great show, The New Pornographers, one of the best bands in indie rock, is going to be in the studio for a live performance and an interview.
0: As always, Sound Opinions was produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana with Todd Bachman, the other member of our team, Stay at home with little baby Hank. Come back to work soon, Todd. we got stuff for you to do. We've got some interning help from Dave Mahler. And as always, our fearless leader, our inspiration... A man who should have a song written about him better than Lenny Kravitz, (laughs) Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say.
3: I'm in the phone.
9: Jim, Andrew from Nova Scotia calling you here. I can't believe you trashed Guitar Hero. As a fellow guitar player, it's a fantastic game, even if you play guitar, if you don't. And while anyone can pick up a guitar and play, not just anyone can pick up and be slash. And this game, lets you get all your rock star urges out, anyway, give Guitar Hero a chance. It is a great, great party game. Thanks. Hey, guys. My name is John. I'm calling from the South Loop. I just wanted to chime in on your appraisal of Guitar Hero 3 since I'm within this targeted age group. I'm 21 years old. I do agree with the statement that one time is better spent playing a real guitar, which is why I don't play the game. But I think it does have value, and here's why. When I picked up the guitar in middle school, I was hearing what was on the radio, which was pop punk and new metal. Then the generation previous to us, who were weaned on thrash and death metal, started playing stuff that was very fast and complex. And guitar solos came back, and now we're all trying to catch up. The kid who's in the age range of 8 to 12 years old who gets this game, they're going to be exposed to artists like Buckethead and Dragonforce who are incredibly proficient at their instruments. And mastering the very difficult songs in these games will inspire these kids, by the time they're 13 or 14, to get a real guitar and really master it instead of being content with power chords and nothing else. So I think the real and probably unintended worth of this game we'll be seen in about 10 years when we'll have some serious young shredders on our hands. But in any case, I listen to the show every week, and I give you my humblest thanks for turning me on to a lot of great music. Keep up the good work. Thanks.
4: Hi, Greg and Jim. Um, My name is Annie from Chicago. I wanted to call in. I can tell you I love your show. But I also heard Jim talking about... So nice to hear somebody express a negative opinion about her Um, as a musician in Chicago. I am so sick of her sound and specifically her being labeled as the queen of indie rock when she's representing everything that indie rock isn't. So that was really great to hear. So I wanted to call up and say thank you for that. All right. Thanks. Bye.
9: Hi, Jim and Greg. My name is Alex. I'm calling from Madrid, Spain. I'm actually from the Dominican Republic, so here's a Dominican guy living in Europe listening to a show from Chicago. Anyway, I'm just calling to say that I listened. You guys review the latest Cafeta Cuba album. And I was really happy to listen to that because me being live and all, I've been listening to Café de Cuba all my life, and I was really happy to listen to you guys review that. Thanks, you guys, for the show. Ciao. Hi, this is uh, Gaetan from Chicago. I was uh, going to let you know how happy I was that you finally talked about uh, Loveless of My Bloody Valentine. I had meant to call you to tell you how much I agreed uh, that you used a sample from one of their songs uh, in the beginning of every show. I also wanted to mention something that you didn't talk about. Kevin Shields has made uh, quite a lot of recordings since Loveless, um, either under his own name or... Under the My Blood Event, I name uh, remixes for bands such as uh, Yoda Tango and my favorite, uh, The Fear Satan by Mogwai in 1998. All right, thank you. Keep up the good work. Bye.
2: No more messages.